This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hey everybody, my name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead, number 380, recorded on Monday, May 21st, 2018, also known in this country as Victoria Day. Victoria Day, 380, we're creeping up on 400, holy shit. It's nuts, man. It is very, very crazy to think about that we're creeping up on 400. I mean, we're not going to get there until until Walking Dead Season 9 starts, I don't think. Uh, although it could be close. We'll see if we can do 20 in the back half of fear. And yeah, then, let's just do three a week and get it done. Yeah. Get her, get her done. We'll be there. Uh, but yeah, it's getting close. Uh, it's also Victoria day. So happy birthday to queen Victoria. We will celebrate by drinking beer and eating barbecue and lighting off fireworks as we do. I didn't do any of those things today. I did barbecue yesterday, but, and I heard a firework. But uh, I did not drink any beer. Yeah, well, close enough. I mean, I've been hearing fireworks all evening in my neighborhood. So I, th- I think they're probably done now. But just in case, you might hear some fireworks going off in the background. You never know. Uh, it's also the unofficial start to summer, which I think I mentioned last week, which does make me feel good. I do enjoy it. Uh, transitioning from spring into summer and some nice warm weather, which it looks like we're going to get this week. Yeah, lots of yard work this weekend. Oh my God. It was a long weekend, man. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was. Did you do some yard work yourself, Christopher? I did a, I did a bunch of yard work, uh, saw a lot of people had, you know, folks over to the house, had my whole fam family over yesterday. Uh, and this morning I had a hockey game and I'm just wiped out now. Like I am, my body is telling me you should be going to sleep right now. You should be mm. in bed and resting because you need it. But I'm it's not. It's one of those long weekends where you need to go back to work so you can relax a little bit. It kind of has been like that. Yeah. It's been a little bit like that. So looking forward to having a nice quiet day at work tomorrow. Yeah. Good. <laughs> With no, no yard work or family obligations. <laughs> Fun. <laughs> yeah. But before we get to that, of course, we have to talk about the latest episode of Fear the Walking Dead. And that is season four, episode six called Just In Case. Mm-hmm. Not somebody's name. It's uh, it's sort of like when uh, when you do something uh, in the event that something unlikely happens and that you're prepared. Right. It's not just in case. I mean, yeah, that's he's, right. He's a nice guy and all, but this is just in case. That's right. Got it. <laughs> well, we don't have a title read. That's why I just did it myself right there. Um, and this is the episode after last week's episode, which I mean, I know. <laughs> Very astute. I, Very thank, astute. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and, and as <laughs> if anyone remembers who was listening to us talk about last week's episode, we both loved it. It was an outstanding episode that we got last week. I'm sorry. I can't hear you. I'm laughing too hard. Are you going to be okay? Well, it's just, it's funny. It's, you, you know, it's riveting, uh, riveting podcasting. This is the episode after last week's episode. And I don't know if you know this, Chris, but it's the episode before the next episode. What? Yeah. <laughs> Can wow. you believe it? It's incredible. Uh, we do have to yeah, mention. We, I, I did listen to what you said. Yes. Very much so. The last episode was uh, entertaining and we both liked it. It was. So, you know, did that affect your enjoyment of this episode at all? Do you think? Because to me, Last week was so good that I couldn't help but feel like this was a tiny bit of a letdown. Uh, although I will say that I, I feel like I got much more out of it on my second 
viewing. So, so what did you think of this one? Uh, now granted, you know, full disclosure, I just finished watching it. Like probably what, what is it? Eight thirty now, maybe about 25 minutes ago is when I finished watching it. So, and, uh, it's just because of the, uh, the nature of the weekend. I didn't get a chance to, uh, Jasper did not take a nap today, which sure. is when I was planning on watching this. Sure. And, that, and that's but, what I said uh, earlier. It was a long weekend. And for you, yeah. that means you didn't have a lot of time to watch TV. Yeah. Uh, I think overall I liked it. Uh, the ending left a little pit in my stomach that I'm not sure I'm comfortable with, but mm-hmm. uh, I, I just have to wait, what, two weeks now to find out what the heck's going on? That's true. There is no new episode next week. So in case anyone out there didn't realize that, you're not going to get a resolution to what's going on with JD at the end of this episode for two weeks. And there's no even guarantee that you'll get a resolution two weeks from now. Yeah. Um, but you definitely won't get one next week because there is no new episode. I think next weekend is Memorial Day in the States. Yes, so, it is. So they're taking the week off. Um, but my, my feelings were, as I said, I, I enjoyed this episode much more the second time through. I feel like I got a lot more out of it than, than on my first viewing. And, um, and so even though initially I was a little bit like, oh, that was a bit of a letdown, I, I don't want to let sort of the previous episode color my feeling for this one too much. Um, but also, as I said, you know, by the end of it, the second viewing, I felt pretty good about it. So I didn't mind this episode uh, that much. But I, I must admit, this is the first time that the whole before and after timeline thing started to get to me a little bit. You're bugged by it. You, you know, we're ready to resolve that in your mind, right? I'm feeling really ready and anxious for them to start coming together and giving us a few answers as to what's going on here and how they got from one to the other. And I've really liked this whole framing and this whole setup for the season so far. But at the end of this episode, and it was really only the end where I started feeling, okay, guys, this is this is cool and all, but I'm ready for this to come to some resolution and right. quick. <laughs> so it's like a corset, right? You put on the corset, everything's fine. You have to lace up the back of the corset. Uh, but you're ready to tighten that sucker up so that it uh, it fits nice and snug and uh, gives you the shape that you're looking for. Well, you know, I because know- I know you wear corsets. Don't you can't <laughs> lie to me. I know you wear corsets. <laughs> well, can you tell by looking? Is, is that- <laughs> yeah, you you cut that uh, just like uh, yeah, you you cut that 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 corset type figure. Oh, it's just it's just a little too perfect. You know? Oh, good. I'm I'm glad to hear it's working then, at least. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, when you lace them up, they're it's all loose, and uh, the, the ends of the corset are far apart, and uh, you're just ready to to have them yanked and have everything tightened in and brought in together. Sure. Okay. I, I guess so. Why not? It's like the corset I wear. Uh, I'm just ready for it to. I'm ready for it to all come together and yep. and do its job. Um. But yeah. Uh. Let's talk about. John Dory and Morgan, that's where this episode started uh, and kind of finished. But the the opening scene of this episode, uh, at first, it, I must admit, it confused me a little bit because explain to me what was going on here, Jason. John Dory and Morgan left the rest of the group uh, kind of to avoid any trouble, right? And yep. then here we are. And they, they've come across this vulture guy, and they're threatening him, and they want to find out what he's doing. And then eventually when they do, um, Morgan says, now we know where they're going, and we can try and stop all this. 
<clears throat> all this. So is it just a coincidence that they came across this guy or was this sort of their plan all along? Oh, it's a coincidence. They so, just stumbled across this guy and now's their opportunity to, uh, to scare them off. Like we know who you are. Now we know where you're going, you know, tell your fellow guys to not go there. Right. But they know that Althea and Lucy and, and Alicia and Strand are, are on their way to find them because they have that map. So yeah. I just don't quite understand what their change of heart was. They were doing their own thing, Morgan and John Dory. Then they come across this guy and decide to be all threatening and, um, and try to stop what was about to happen. So I just, I'm not sure where that came from exactly. I don't think it's a change of heart. So what's happening is they're trying to stop the confrontation. So they're, you know, they don't want to just go off and do their own thing. They want to go off and try and not kill, have everybody kill each other, right? They want uh, they want kind of peace in their time, peace in their lifetime. So when they stumble across this guy, now there's oppor- there's now's the opportunity to uh, to prevent the meeting and prevent the collision of these two groups at this particular time. So uh, they went in to grab this guy and to scare him a little bit. But uh, John Dory uh, got out of hand, you know, because we know from the last episode that John Dory has a bit of a temper that comes out every once in a while. And now that he's found out that uh, that Laura, his beloved Laura, is dead, apparently, mm-hmm. uh, he went a little farther than he expected, which is why he gave Morgan his guns. He's like, yeah, I got out of hand there, so uh, you better hang on to these. Yeah, and, and I like that about it. At first, though, I must admit it bothered me a little bit by how much rage he had in that scene uh, because I feel like it, it we didn't really see that before and I didn't think he was capable of that and that was one of the things I like about him but again I don't uh, when I started thinking about it a bit it didn't really bother me that much because of what he's been through he's he found this woman he fell in love with her she left then he just recently found out she was dead apparently so He's being affected by it. He's starting to change a little bit. His character's changing a little bit. So I think it did make sense that he he was that threatening to the guy. And he's just so yeah. distraught about everything that's going on. Um, so even though I didn't enjoy it or didn't quite agree with it at first, I kind of grew on me a little bit. And you're right. It was nice how he surrendered the guns over, uh, as he said, just in case. <laughs> Yes, and he did at that scene. So uh, he knows he knows he took it a little bit too far. And my God, he shot the guy's finger off. That was pretty awesome. That was pretty awesome. He's uh, he's a quick draw, and uh, he's a good, he's a good aim with that quick draw because that's what he was aiming for. He's aiming for the hand. Yeah. So he shot that guy's finger right off. And one of the things I liked about this scene was when he was rifling through his pockets and he found the note. And he started reading it. He leaned on the guy up against the side of the van, and that to me strikes me as something a police officer would do when uh, they need to use both their hands for something and they have uh, a suspect under control. They lean on them so that any motion that that guy makes is going to be telegraphed immediately to uh, to John Dory in this case. Yeah. So I thought that was really, really nicely done. You know, I guess the key there is that the suspect is under control because if if he's not or you're not absolutely sure that he is subdued in some way, you're not going to get that close to him because if he has a knife, you're getting stabbed. Oh, yeah. No, you, yeah, you don't get within 20 feet somebody with a knife. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but back to the idea that they decided in this moment that this is what 
this is the moment they decided they were going to um, intervene and try to prevent this conflict from happening. I, I just feel like I needed a little bit more of that before, and maybe it was there and I just don't remember or I missed it. You know, I, I feel like they had plenty of opportunities earlier on to try and do something here to, to prevent this conflict from happening. But now they've left and they've stumbled upon this guy and it felt like a spur of the moment decision for me. It kind of was, yeah. I would think. Uh, but, you know, they, they're not going to wave off our intrepid heroes from this uh, from this confrontation. So their only chance is to wave off the bad guys. Yeah. So now's their opportunity to try and do that. Hey, we know about this shit. There's other people going to, to ambush you there, you know? Yeah. Go somewhere else. I guess that does make some sense. You know, they they couldn't convince Alicia and everybody to not go. So now they have an opportunity to try and prevent the other side from showing up. That's right. Uh, okay, that makes sense. Now, mo- but most of this episode took place in the before uh, timeline. So we spend a lot of time with Strand and Madison and Naomi and everybody back at the baseball diamond and, and doing their stuff. And... There was a lot in this episode to me about kind of redemption a little bit, at least when it comes to Strand. And that is a common theme in the world of The Walking Dead. Um, We learn a fair bit about what happened after the dam, at least as it relates to Strand, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, we got a little bit of a cave description there. Yeah, so Strand reveals that Madison saved him in from the water uh, after the dam exploded, took him into a cave, nursed him back to health with Nick, Nick and Alicia. So I guess Nick was rescued too somehow because he was standing on top of the dam when it exploded. Uh, after that, they found Luciana um, and then decided to move on from there after that. So it's uh, it's a little bit, uh, it's filling in the holes a little bit. It is. It is. I mean, it's nice that you found a cave. I mean, <laughs> yeah. How often do you find a cave? Especially when you can live in and nurse someone back to health. Yeah. I mean, that's uh that's that's I don't even know what that is. I know where there's one cave uh in like anywhere and I would not go into this cave to save my life. <laughs> no, and yet that's what they did. So I, I, I just appreciate that we got something. I think they're likely going to fill in those holes a little bit here and there. Um maybe Wait. a little bit more. I'm not so sure we're gonna get too much more though. Once we're into the back half of this season, we might be long past any more damn information. Right. That's true. So well I yeah, know. I would I would think that we'll we have enough of the story now that we can just move on from that. Exactly. Or, or piece it together ourselves a little bit. Yeah. Who cares? I mean, let our imaginations run wild. Sure. It was a crazy time. They were living in caves. They found people at random and nursed them back to health and everything's perfect now. How could it not be? <laughs> they were living in a cave. Sure. Good times. And, and I can course- think of two caves. You remember that cave we found, uh, uh, those vultures? Yeah. Yeah. That was fun. Wow. That's weird. Caves and vultures. You and I. We did that all those years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Hiking through the woods. Uh, Okay. Strand. So the bit, one of the big themes throughout this episode, I think was what kind of person is Victor Strand because he was packing that car to leave. He, he revealed this to Madison yet. She kind of accepts him anyways. He wants to know why she rescued him from the water after what he did and stuff. And, 
you know, one of her answers, at least one of the answers she spoke out loud is that she knows what kind of person he is and they, she likes to drink with him, which I thought was a little uh, dismissive of the whole thing. But how do you feel about Strand sort of coming to terms with the fact that people actually want to have him around, even though he's a bit of a dick? I think that uh, people who assume that personalities are static are making a mistake. Sure. People's personalities aren't this thing that can defines, you know, you can't define somebody who they are. Uh, you know, given circumstances, people will do things that are way outside of their normal personality. It's because it's based on situation mm-hmm. and you never really know. So I think that uh, if you assume somebody's personality is static, you're probably in for heartache because uh, something's going to happen that's going to cause you to not believe that their personality supports what they just did. So we have to move on from there. Uh, People want Strand around. I don't know. What is he? I I don't understand. Just stop whining. Like for crying out loud, you did this thing. It didn't work out. Having a contingency plan is not a bad thing in my mind. Yeah. Uh, I mean, screwing everybody else over and going off and letting them die is not a good thing, but you know, stockpiling stuff in a, a getaway vehicle for uh, just in case, that's not a bad thing. I don't think, I don't see it as a bad thing. Sure, he got caught and he just did the right thing in the in the end where he, uh, uh, you know, gave it up so that people could have a, a, another couple of days worth of uh, food and supplies. That's fine. Uh, but as far as, you know, him coming to terms with the fact that people want him around, uh, stop whining. It's the zombie apocalypse. You don't have to be popular. Yeah, sure. I like your point about personalities not being static, though. That that helps explain it a lot and helps me just kind of feel okay with it quite a bit, I, I must admit. But I do hope that this is put to bed now with Strand. You know, he's been all over the place since we've met him, really. At first, we didn't really know his intentions and he kind of uses people to get what he wants and he's doing things in his own best interest his own self-interest um and and you're right like now is the time when we've explored that and he needs to stop worrying about it and i think the show needs to stop worrying about it and strand is going to just do strandy stuff and be strand and for now that's okay and then he might do other stuff that's not strandy right later on and that's okay of course and he may not be perfect but i feel like as a a viewer I know the guy or I feel like I know what kind of person he is and we're going to see that or we're going to see something different and it might be shocking. It might not, but I'm okay with it. Yeah. I think the only thing, I don't think I know who Strand is yet. No, I think I like to think that he's a stand up guy, but he's not really. And he's, his motivation seems to be a little self-serving. Yeah. Uh, Whereas, um, yeah, he's, so he's doing things that are basically self-serving, but we all know people like that. They're just going to do what's best for them. Sure. And, you know, if you have to go swing in the wind, they don't give a shit because they're doing stuff for them. And it's like, wow, you didn't pr- properly prepare yourself for uh, the shit that's happening to you right now, even though I caused you that shit. Yeah. Uh, it's your own damn fault. Which, anyway, I'm starting to ramble here, but... uh yeah, I think Strand is a little self-serving, but I don't think I have him quite, uh, I don't quite understand him yet. Well, but that's kind of what I mean. Like, I feel like he's exactly that, and the show has explored it, and now 
let's not focus on it so much. Let's just move on to other things. Because if that's the way he is, I'm okay with that. Maybe it's not ideal uh, as a member of this team, but that's okay. Everyone yeah. has their, their character flaws. Right. Uh, now, Madison's willingness to forgive him, though, when they're... Um, when they're when they're sitting there after he told her, I must admit it felt a little convenient for the plot. Like I kind of expected her to be more upset about it, but then she wasn't. And it just felt like, you know, well, he admitted this to her, but they need to go find Naomi right at that moment. And that's what's most important. So I, I don't know. I felt like she didn't really react to it very much. But again, Madison kind of already knows like me what kind of guy strand is and at the end of the day i think he's more helpful than he is you know a detriment to this group yeah and never underestimate the power of needing a drinking buddy <laughs> right. and I, I guess he he brings your booze i would assume so you know all is forgiven if you have uh you know a fifth of scotch with you sure what what's a fifth I know the term fifth of scotch. What is that? I don't know. I'm not even sure, to be honest. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I'm not sure if that's an American term or whatever. You know, those small bottles you can get here, we call them in Canada Mickey's. Yeah. Or or Mickey. at least. Is it like a fifth of a gallon, maybe? I don't know. Maybe. You take a gallon and divide it by five? So, uh, you, you all, you know what a fifth is. Well, somebody out there does. I don't know. I don't even know what a gallon is, to be quite honest, because I grew up with the metric system. Uh... 2.6 liters? Something like that. Sure. Like that. I don't know. Well, you know what a gallon of milk feels like, right? No, it's I know a big what... a jug of milk. I know what two or four liters of milk feel like. When I go to the U.S. and I have to fill up a rental car with gas, I get I get uh, actually anxious about the whole thing because it's in gallons and I don't know what I'm doing. You know, Hold they the don't... trigger on the gas thing until it stops. No, but you fill have, it up. You have to prepay everywhere you go. So they're like, how many gallons do you want? I'm like, I don't know. What do I do? <laughs> I, don't, I didn't do that when I was traveling. Oh, well, I've always Maybe had to... Kentucky's different. I never had that problem with Kentucky. I just do the thing and pull the trigger until the until it stops. I had to fill the tank for all the rentals I had. Like, always fill the tank. Yeah, yeah. Whereas here, you put it back to the point where you had it, where you got the car, not fill the tank. So I just pull the trigger until it's full. No, because uh, this is way off topic, but I can't, for some reason, use my credit card at a gas pump in the United States. I have to, if you try, it asks me for a zip code, which I don't have. And then when I, so I have to go in, pre-authorize a certain amount, and he asked me how many gallons I want, and I have no idea what he's talking about. Anyways. What's, what's a gallon? Right. I'm, I'm yeah. I, I, <laughs> my credit card does not have that issue. Weird. At the gas stations that I've stopped at in the last six months. Okay, well. I don't know from speed limits. <laughs> I don't see? know how fast I'm going. I'm just trying to stay with traffic, but uh, that's it. Like, right. I'm going, since, uh, if I'm going 70, I, I don't know if that's fast or not. I don't even know what that is in kilometers right now. You it's know what? 100 and something, 125, 130, isn't it? Yeah, I got nothing. I don't know. Okay. As long as I'm not the fastest thing on the road, I'm fine. Good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, back to the episode. Um, I think overall, another one of the big themes of this episode was people misunderstanding other people or- right. Or, or people not understanding each other's motivations, right? Because uh, not only is Strand, well, he's figuring his own shit out in a way, um, but Cole, 
there's the Cole Strand relationship where Cole thinks he knows Strand and sort of makes a judgment on him after he has the getaway car. We've got Strand thinking he has Naomi all figured out until the end when we get Naomi's backstory. And then I think Strand really changes his tune. And just in general, both of these or all of these scenarios show us that people don't really know each other very well or who or what they seem to be. So I, I enjoy, I appreciated that as a theme, right? It, it was just trying to show us that everyone is deep and rich and there are things about people you aren't going to understand until you do, or until you have more information about where they're coming from and what they've been through. Do, do any of us really know anybody else? Well, I don't, I don't can think you? so. I don't think you can. I mean, I you, think you can mostly know somebody, but I don't think you're going to absolutely know somebody. No, not entirely. But that's, I think, a little bit what this episode was about. You can get to know some people. You can learn about them and form opinions about them. But maybe that's all they really are. Because you are an outsider judging someone else for all of their qualities and flaws, right? Yeah. that was. I, I think that was kind of played out in this episode a little bit. Which was nice. That's kind of a deeper theme, to me, for me, to be honest, and it doesn't have to be in a zombie apocalypse show, but in this case, it, it obviously is. Yeah. What this episode definitely was not about was, uh, people not understanding the Imperial system, <laughs> gallons and miles and stuff like that. It wasn't about that. No, it definitely wasn't about that. That's you. And that's our problem. Yeah. That that's us <laughs> Canadians. As long as the whole world is metric, everything's fine. Well, except yeah. I don't know how tall I am in uh, in centimeters, and I don't know how much I weigh in kilograms. I'm all height and weight in imperial. Anyway, Berg, sorry, I'm backsliding again. My brain is completely mush after this weekend, and I'm I'm impressed that I can form a sentence at this point. And well, I apologize. Keep keep it going, man. Keep it going because let's talk about Naomi now. Okay, good. Uh, she tries to leave but claims she's not trying to leave and then ultimately leads them to this FEMA outpost where she was living for a while, where there are all kinds of supplies. They had so all sorts of food, uh, seeds, fertilizer, all the things that they need and want for the baseball diamond. So they go there to pick all this stuff up. And, you know, this is where the just in case, uh, title really where it comes from for this episode because she's there and there's a truck, there's a just-in-case truck packed yeah. there full of supplies, which she wants to bring back for them. Um, I thought it was a little bit stupid that the keys had JIC written on them, just in case. Yeah, it's sort of the case that she opened up a just-in-case case and <laughs> it was full of crap. Yeah. <laughs> right? So it had JIC. It was kind of... Yeah, it was a little, uh, I don't know if I'd write that on anything. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, You know, if I packed a go bag, I wouldn't write fucking go bag on the thing, right? No, you would just know. I, I would know. Right. The bag by the door with the food and the handgun in it is a go bag. Uh-huh. Exactly. <laughs> there's no, there's you no don't have to write go, go bag. bag. That's bag. just a theoretical go bag. <laughs> sure. Handgun in it. <laughs> um, the that other- would be an improperly stored handgun in Canada, and I would never, ever do that. No, absolutely. Uh, the other thing is JIC kind of reminds me of JSS a little too much. Yeah, just survive somehow, just in case. 
survive somehow. <laughs> and is that weird? Like these two, these two shows in the same universe. Scott Gimple is on one. He's responsible for JSS, and then he comes over, and now all of a sudden we have JIC. I couldn't help but feel this is weird, Scott. Like, what is it with you and and like survival acronyms that really are kind of meaningless? Maybe he's a prepper. Yeah, but <laughs> I don't know if preppers have acronyms for everything, do they? I, I don't know. I'm not a prepper. No, I'm not prepared <laughs> for anything. I don't roll in those communities. <laughs> I guess, but I don't know. It felt weird. It's. I hope he doesn't keep doing this, Scott Gimple. We need another three-letter acronym, boys. Come up with something. Yeah, there's only so many. There are. So I don't know. Um, but then anyways, Naomi gets stuck in there. Uh, she attracts the attention of a lot of zombies. She's stuck up on this this scaffolding kind of thing and needs to be rescued by Strand and Madison, who have now caught up with her. What did you think about this rescue scene? Uh, well, as soon as I saw the scaffolding, I knew she had to climb, right? That was that was the thing. Yeah. As soon as I saw it, I'm like, yeah, she's going to have to climb that. And then she had to get rescued. I don't know. Is her entire purpose on this show is to help people slash get rescued by other people? Has, like, it, has it happened she, before already? Well, uh, John Dory had to rescue her. She was washed up on top of his canoe. That's true. And uh, she would have died if uh, if he hadn't helped her out. So maybe she just needs to be rescued. Yeah, All but the time, every episode or so. What about the logistics of it? I thought this came. I mean, I think this whole sequence falls heavily into like the Department of Overly Complicated and Unnecessary Plans. Like a von, what's the name of that machine? Very complicated machine. Uh, von Neumann machine. Shit, what's that called? I don't know. What I mean though is she's stuck up there and. I just felt like there were a hundred different things they could have done to rescue her rather than string a rope across and have her shimmy upside down across a rope that's not really tied to anything that Strand and, and later Madison is just holding at the other end, not knowing what, how strong the scaffolding is, not knowing if they'll be able to hold it tight enough to have a human adult shimmy across it, which I feel like is virtually impossible. Um, and, and then she successfully does it with, you know, one close call in the middle. And I'm like, why not make noise, distract the zombies, lead them out that tiny door. You could funnel them through there and probably kill a bunch of them as they came through. Yeah. You know, like they're open the doors and blow up a truck for crying out loud. You got yourself an instant zombie distraction. Yeah. I mean lure them away is the most obvious one right and and madison even kind of does that when strand is doing his thing she starts clanging the the pipe on the bed or whatever the bunk bed or whatever she's hiding behind like why not just do that and and lead them away outside maybe you wouldn't get all of them but you spread them out you take them out slowly might have taken a little bit longer wouldn't have been nearly as dramatic but what are you going to do um i felt like it was an unnecessary an overly complicated plan that didn't really ring true, even though admittedly it was kind of fun to watch. Yeah, it was pretty complicated and (laughs) there was lots of better ideas than uh, having this tense, dramatic, precarious rescue. Right. And that's, that's all I'm saying. I mean, I know it's TV and it needs that kind of stuff. Uh, but I even feel like there must have been some sort of rescue they could have pulled off that wasn't just luring the zombies away, that would have checked the boxes for tents, 
precarious, um, but not checked the ridiculous box. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So I mean, there's yeah, it's, it's a good checklist. I, I admit that uh, you know I go through that checklist. Is it uh, is it complicated? Is it dramatic? Is it precarious? Is it ridiculous? And and you don't want to check all the boxes. You just want to no. check some of them, right? Yeah. So and I'm thinking of a Rube Goldberg machine, right? Uh, an right, overly right. complex machine that perf- ultimately performs a simple task. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's kind of what this was: overly complicated plan that just got her out of there. <laughs> right. Well, we didn't. Yeah, if we had pulleys and maybe a mousetrap of some kind and a you know wire cage that came down, yeah, it could have been better. Could have been a little bit better, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Ultimately, though, they get her out, and then this is when we get Naomi's full backstory about her daughter and the short version is that her she was living at this FEMA shelter daughter her name is Rose got sick she went out looking for medicine but took too long Rose died and killed everybody else at the FEMA shelter before Naomi got back and of course she blames herself for all of this and the fall of this shelter um and uh I thought that was worth it. Like, I thought that was a good story. And even though her rescue was a bit crazy, if we had to go through all that to learn this about her, it kind of paid off. She's not wrong. It's kind of her fault. Uh, Yeah, I guess so. It's kind of her fault, but I mean, her daughter's the one who turned into a zombie and ate everybody. Well, you can't blame her. You can't blame the daughter? Well, I suppose you could, but she didn't make any of the decisions. No, that's right. So I certainly understand why Naomi feels bad about the whole thing. I also think it informs her character quite a bit. And yeah. uh, it's it's certainly incredibly tragic, and I feel bad for her. Uh, she also lost her husband, she said, right at the outset of the zombie apocalypse, and then right. managed to survive a while until her daughter turned and <laughs> ate all of her friends. <laughs> right. It's like you're lying on the couch. Like, you've done this, I'm, I'm sure. You're lying on the couch. The power's gone out. You're trying to read the newspaper. So you light a candle and you place it on your chest while you're reading the newspaper and you fall asleep. Sure. Right? Yeah. You could very well burn the house down just by, you know, touching the newspaper to the, uh, to the candle. Uh, you can't blame the candle. Uh, no, true. Candle's a candle, so, though, not a sentient being who... Didn't, yeah, didn't make any decisions. So the, the daughter, sure, was the thing that caused all of the destruction... Or person, not a thing, mm-hmm. but a character or, you know, non-existent character even. Um, but I don't think she made any of the decisions. So Naomi slash Laura, uh, she, she, she's to blame. I think the blame is, uh, is okay. I mean, you can go back all the way if she hadn't met her husband. Yeah, yeah, yeah. had yeah. a daughter, you know, that wouldn't, you know, maybe it's her parents' fault. Maybe her parents raised her badly. I don't know. But ultimately she made a decision that caused the death of all these people. It's kind of her fault. Fair enough. And you can see that in her. And I think that's the important part. She feels that. And that is sort of why she is the way she is right now. And why she's once bitten twice shy, you know, she doesn't want to cause the death of anybody else. So, uh, she goes through life trying not to endanger other people at all, uh, for her, whatever she wants to do. Sure, and that's why she didn't want to stay with John, uh, why she didn't want to stay in the baseball diamond, and exactly. So I, I, I'm just glad that we know this about her. I think it's a, a terrible backstory for her, cause has, has caused her a lot of pain, and it is affecting her in a realistic and believable way. 
Yeah. And in this uh, zombie apocalypse world, she's not going to get over it. Like uh, that, this is going to be a thing that's going to haunt her for the rest of her life. It's not like she's going to be able to go to intense therapy for you know, twice a week for five or six years until she figures out that her parents raised her badly and ultimately she can lay blame on them. Uh, you know, she's just going to have to live with this shit and it's going to fester and it's not mm-hmm. going to get better. Nah, that's one of the things that happens in the walking dead world. You, you just have to somehow come to your own terms with the things that you've done and the things that have happened to you. Yep. You're right. Uh, well, it's, it's also her story kind of along with Strand's story to have a just in case car that what, these are the things that prompt Madison in the end to pack her own just in case truck, um, which she asks Alicia to do towards the end of the episode. And I don't know how I feel about that because I kind of really like the idea that Madison is all in with the baseball diamond, 100%, no backup plan. But now we get this backup plan, and it kind of makes me doubt Madison's resolve a little bit, and I don't like that feeling. I want her to be sure of what she's doing, and now she isn't. Yeah. Well, I don't think there's anything wrong with having a backup plan. I know, I know. So you go out, uh, you know, you travel for work, uh, you know, you're you're at the you're at the hotel bar. You meet a nice woman. You go back. You have sex with her, uh, dude. <laughs> you know, back at your hotel, and then you come home, and uh, you're at your wife asks you what you did that night. But you prepare a lie, right? You prepare your lie so that uh, you won't get caught. If she doesn't ask, preparing that lie is not a waste of time. Having a backup plan is not a bad idea. I don't think this is a good example. <laughs> No, it's not a good example, but having a backup plan is not never a waste. Yeah, I know. I know. I get that. But the the nature of the backup plan that these characters have, at least Strand and now Madison, is, is we're out of here. We're abandoning people. And at, at least with Strand, it was. I can't say that definitively about Madison. Maybe her, you know, maybe she doesn't take that truck out until the last person is dead and she's the only one left but it just feels like they're giving themselves the opportunity to say screw you everybody we're out of here and i don't like that yeah. i like her well, it depends on motivation you're absolutely right it's not necessary if if she's doing it specifically to screw over everybody else and her and the one she loves getting away that's one thing if it's a backup plan for whoever is left after whatever happens can use that to possibly survive a couple of days until they can find some other supplies then there's nothing wrong with that no but i don't i don't even think about it like um like i i'm sure madison is not thinking i'm going to screw over everybody i think madison would stay until the bitter end it just she's it's it's her own self-preservation and i know there's nothing wrong with that either but you know if there's it's like the captain going down with the ship you know the captain is supposed to go down with the ship if the ship is sinking and that's horseshit too but that's (laughs) well i don't know it's a it seems to be a commonly held belief amongst a lot of people and i just i don't want to see madison run away i want to see her go down with the ship if the ship is gonna sink a person's life is not worth whatever ship that they're on yeah right I don't know. You know, if the right. ship is going down and the captain can get off, get off the fucking boat. Like, what the hell you'd still do in there for? Yeah, fair enough. 
Uh, but he, the, the idea is that he's the last one to get off because he has now saved his crew and all the passengers. That's absolutely true. Sure. The captain should be the last one to get off. He's not supposed to like cut and run right at the beginning and say, you know, good luck, guys. I'm out of here. Uh, no, the captain should be the last one off the ship, but I don't know that he needs to go down with it. Yeah, but no. She might. Okay, so just because, um, think of it this way, as we're, we're long as we're going with the ship analogy, uh, you know, is it a bad thing that they have lifeboats? Like they're, they're, if they're all committed to this boat that is uh, sailing through the ocean, that's, that's all well and good. And having the intention of, uh, weathering whatever storm comes is, is all well and good, but you still got lifeboats just in case, just you know, in what case. if you got to get off the damn boat because it's sinking? <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. You're absolutely and right. Put a sandwich on the lifeboat. That's okay. Right. <laughs> a little preparation goes a long way. Yeah. A flare, a paddle. A couple of sandwiches, bottle of water, maybe yep. a beer. I don't know. <laughs> nice comfy pillow and sleeping bag. Yeah, essentials. Exactly. Well, all right. I I, I take your point. Um, but up until this point, I just feel like Madison was dedicated 100% to making it work here. And we've seen that. We've seen her building things. We've seen her telling other characters that. We've seen her stand there and talk to uh, Mel the vulture guy saying, you know, it's not going to go bad for us. You guys can hang out out here all you want, but we are going to make this work. Uh, but now she has this out and that's all as, as smart and I, of an idea as it is, it to me feels like an out, but you know, they roll back in with all these supplies and this is enough to make the vultures leave, which I found really fascinating. Like you never see the bad guys turn and leave in the walking dead. <laughs> they're not bad guys. Why do you think they're bad guys? Come on. You have to assume that these are going to be quote unquote bad guys in this, in this TV show. They're They've not going to sudden... no overt, uh, evil gestures. They're like, we're just going to hang out here until you get fucked over. And then we're going to take all your shit. Okay. They're not, bad guys they're just opportunistic assholes let's talk we'll talk about the the ending scene in a minute but maybe they don't feel like i mean madison and the characters don't feel like they're bad guys yet but i think they probably are and then when mel is leaving he says to madison you know the really bad stuff you never see it coming and that to me feels not just like foreshadowing but it feels like a threat or a warning it did that did feel a little thready you know what I mean? Like, he's not yeah. just saying, you know, watch your ass because the bad stuff, the really bad stuff you're not going to see coming. I, that's I that I feel like that's him going, watch out because we might be back and we might be worse the next time we come around. Right. So yeah. I don't know. Anyways, bad guys, good guys. Um, we move into the final scene of the episode. We're back in the after timeline or the current timeline if you want to call it that and we've got alicia strand and luciana at this racetrack that where they're supposed to be where the uh, vultures are supposed to be meeting up and instead of course the first people that show up are morgan and john dory now explain to me why they're so hostile toward them when they show up i know that alicia thinks it's one vulture van appearing at first and they're going to be hostile towards these people but once they realize it's morgan and john dory 
they approach them guns out and are really not very nice to them. So did they, are like, is Alicia and strand miss, like, do they think they're with the vultures again or what are they being so hostile for? The only reason I can think of for the hostility is a failure of storytelling. Oh, I don't know. I mean, it could be that uh, they think that they are with the vultures since they showed up at the vulture meeting place, yeah. even though they kind of already knew that that's where it was going to be. Right. Cause they knew the guy with the, uh, with the El Camino, they found the map. That's how they knew where they were going to meet. Yeah. Right. So they knew where the meeting place was. So why are they so hostile? Maybe they're just pissed off. Maybe they, they knew that, uh, Morgan waved off the bad guys and that, uh, they're kind of mad about that. Mm, I don't know. They didn't know that yet because Morgan tells them that, Morgan is basically saying that to them. I told them not to come so we can avoid this confrontation altogether. And that's when they show up. So they don't know that yet. They see the one, Alicia sees the one truck, says, here they come, which I understand they think that that's a vulture truck because it's a, it's a van that Morgan and John Dory didn't have when they separated. So that's fine. But then they step out and they basically rush them with their guns up and make them kneel on the ground. So I didn't quite understand that hostility unless Alicia and Strand and Lucy now think that because they showed up at this location, they're with the vultures again, or maybe always were. I don't know. I don't know. That's all I can think. But I found that a little bit confusing. Uh, but then... Um, Whatever the reason, it's not explained. And that's why I say it's a failure of storytelling, because they don't tell us... Yeah. Why they're doing that. Right. And maybe somewhere in an editing room, there's some footage that tells us that didn't make it into the show. But I always say that, you know, it's on the cutting room floor. I don't know why. I don't understand. Yeah. So if, if there's something we've missed there, uh, let us know for sure. I'd, I'd be interested in some more explanation there. But anyways, then the vultures do show up. And the next thing about this scene I don't understand is, is what happens next. So the vultures arrive and they get out of their multitude of cars and trucks and vehicles, all with their own weapons pointed straight back at Alicia, Strand, Lucy. And I, and, and I started thinking, okay, what was the plan here? I mean, if Alicia did indeed think that Morgan's van appearing was a vulture van all they did was like run out onto the onto the racetrack to meet them with their guns up no cover no ambush nothing and so was that what they were going to do if the vultures showed up with like 30 people and no they were going to ambush them but uh, because uh john dory and morgan showed up they kind of got caught with their pants down they're stuck in the middle of the racetrack and all of a sudden the vultures show up and they're like well, this is a but, bad situation. But, but but are you sure? Like what my my point is, they thought that Morgan and John Dory were vultures and they rushed out to meet them. Is that Not just necessarily be- maybe they're just mad at them? No, I think they didn't I, they didn't realize it was them until they like got up to them and they were out of their truck. So I feel like that was their plan, which is not much of a plan. It was like we're uh, going to go and have a standoff with these people in the middle of the racetrack. Yeah, that's the worst ambush idea I could think of. Well, I mean, shoot them from a distance. You know, snipe them for a while. Soften them up a a little bit. Strand had a bandolier of grenades on. Like, throw some grenades and blow up some of their vehicles. Like, I don't know. But 
okay, so if if that's the case, then I can see they get caught with their pants down a bit because they're already standing there on the racetrack when the vultures show up. So what else can they do? So so now we have these two groups standing 10 feet from each other, all with really mean looking guns pointed at each other. And if one person shoots, they all shoot and everybody dies. Yeah, it's a Mexican standoff. Everybody's bunched up and like four feet away from each other. It's like the worst thing I can think of as far as a uh, an idea for a standoff. Is that derogatory? A Mexican no, it's standoff? A, it's a, I don't know if it's derogatory, but it's a it's a term. I hope not. No offense was meant. <laughs> Anyways, it, I'm not. I didn't make it up. That doesn't mean it's not uh, derogatory. <laughs> All right, I'm looking at Mex- Mexican standoff. All right, while you're doing that. Um, so so I, so we're now we're standing at this position where everyone is is pointing their guns at each other and nothing you know nobody knows what to do. Uh, I did love the line though where um, the vulture guy Mel is it Mel or Len? Shit, now I forget. Anyways, he says I'm sorry about your brother, and Alicia responds with Really, I'm not sorry about yours. That was great. Like that was yeah. what a what a comeback to that. That was that was that was a good line. <laughs> it was. Um, but, and then of course, Laura slash Naomi shows up and she's alive. And again, I was a little bit confused the first time I watched this, but from what I can take, it seems like Naomi has somehow joined the vulture, the vultures because she radioed, you know, before she got there and they appear to be expecting her. So... This is where I really, really started to feel like, okay, everyone, I need these two timelines to start coming together. I need some resolution here because what the crap? Why did A, Alicia tell everyone that Naomi was dead? That was probably just a lie, I figure, unless she truly believed she was dead. And this is a surprise that she's showing up. And B, why the hell is she with the vultures all of a sudden? What has happened? What has transpired between before and now? that has ended up in this situation. Yeah. And she's dressed worse now. Like she's dressed like the, uh, the crazy vulture guys. Yeah. Like she's got really kind of ugly pants. She's wearing a fucking bandana. Sure. Uh, you know, it, and like three, three or four shirts. Like, I don't, I don't quite understand, but yeah, she's dressed really horribly like those, uh, like those vultures guys. But did you notice too, the the way they shot her getting out of the car was to show her feet first and she's back to wearing those sneakers. They weren't the same ones, but they were similar to what we saw her in last week. And yep. I liked that. I thought that was a nice little touch. It's like, oh my God, it's her. We know from the shoes. Yeah. That was pretty good. Anyway, she gets out of the car John Dory is excited to see her. He goes over to her. Alicia yells no, turns around, fires one shot, and hits John. And he goes down. He's got a gunshot wound to the chest or abdomen, it looks like. Thorax. Somewhere in the thorax. Survivable, I bet. Yeah, so we need to talk about whether we think he's going to die or not. But I also want to talk about... What the hell Alicia was doing? Was she aiming for Naomi or was she aiming for John Dory? Naomi. John Dory jumped in the way. He saved her life. I didn't get that at all. I had no idea. Oh, who, I did. I had no idea who who Alicia was aiming for. Like, was she shooting Naomi because of something she did? And again, we don't know that. Why is Alicia so angry with her? Was she aiming for John Dory? Was she trying to prevent him from going to her for some reason? I I don't know. I don't think it was clear. But if you can explain it to me, I'm all ears. 
No, he was. She was shooting for uh, uh, Naomi, and John Dory put up his hands and said no, and got in the way. Hmm. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure because I think there's uh, some uh, some anger there that hasn't quite been explained why Alicia's mad at her. Well, definitely, I think I, if she was going to shoot John Dory, she would have shot him a long time ago. I, I guess, but I I just feel like. M- I just feel like it's not clear. And and I, I agree with you that I think she was aiming for Naomi, but maybe what's bothering me is that I don't know why yet. And I know they're holding back and they're going to explain all this, um, but this is why I started feeling like I'm anxious for some explanation now. And how much does it suck that John Dory has been shot in a pretty serious way? Well... I just I think that uh, the only one that can save him is Laura, so uh, I think that's going to bring them back to. Uh, she's going to nurse them back to health. It's gonna it's going to rekindle their love and their relationship, and everything's going to be fantastic. And they're going to ride off into the sunset together. Well, I hope you're right. I hope because freaking Garrett Dillahunt, if he leaves the show now. I'm pretty close to rage quitting the show. Like, what am I supposed to do? There's no uh, Stephen Hogg and no Garrett Dillahunt. What am I supposed to do? I mean, Garrett Dillahunt is the best character on this show right now. And, and, I agree. And, and frankly, his relationship with Naomi Laura is the best thing on the show right now that the show has going for it, I think. I do not want to see that end yet. And I was pretty, I was pretty angry that they shot him. and. I don't know, you know, I don't know what to do about it, but deep down, I don't think he's going to be killed off this quickly, but we'll have to see. We got to wait at least two weeks to find out. I'd rather have Carl killed on the main show than uh, John Dory (laughs) killed on this show. Yeah, totally. Totally. I'd rather have anybody else killed on Fear the Walking Dead than John Dory right now. So it was pretty upsetting, I think, to see this. No, I, I... Oh my God! Can, I think I would be less upset if Madison was shot. Well, she's probably, Madison might be dead. I think she's dead already. Yeah. No, she's not dead. Don't give me that. <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> You're not going to convince me of that. Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't think she's dead either, to be honest. But it is a mounting theory out there that has more and more evidence all the time, or at least people seem to be digging up more clues that they think sh- show us that Madison's dead already. Yeah, I don't know. Anything else uh, about this episode, Jason? I'm sure you probably have some nitpicky stuff you want to go through. Uh, or not no, so much. No, not a week. lot. Wow. To tell you the truth, I mean, we went through a lot of the nitpicky stuff. Like I said, I only watched it once. Yeah. So the nitpicky stuff would be the uh, the rescue uh, in the uh, the FEMA location from the from the scaffolding. Mm-hmm. Uh, she knew what she would find. Uh, Naomi knew what she would find when she walked in there. She knew that that was where her daughter was. Uh, you think she'd be mentally prepared to shut the fuck up and not, uh, you know, she, the whole point was to be quiet, you know, and then she, uh, she made a noise, which gave it all away. Uh, it's, uh, she, it's tough. It's tough to make a call on that one because, uh, uh, you know, if I put my pl- myself in her place, I probably wouldn't enter the building for anything. Sure. But that again, it's a zombie apocalypse. I'd be long dead. (laughs) Sure. Like long dead. Yeah. But I get, I see your, your point. Like she was overwhelmed with, with grief, you know, and she may not have expected that when she was going in, uh, when she saw all the kids stuff and the baby stuff. And I think those were supposed to be dead children on the ground. 
that she saw. So no, I don't think they were dead children. They they can't do that. No, I think I, they were just dead people. I think they were supposed to be some dead children, but e- either way, she was just overwhelmed by the sight of it all and collapsed and made more noise than she should have. That's true. Right. Um, but I, I think you would uh, do well with a second viewing of this. I think there's, it, it really came together much better for me on the second time. So, you know, I know we're done here, but uh, if you, <laughs> you have a chance, watch it again. And, <laughs> well, I'll watch it right now. Can you wait? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll be back. And we're back. Jason finished watching it a second time. <laughs> I didn't know. I'm spending so much time looking up Mexican standoff, determining whether or not it's derogatory. Did you figure it out? Uh, I don't know yet. It uh, Okay, so it, it wasn't a Mexican standoff. It's a trope. It's a, it's a TV trope, TV and movie trope. Okay. Uh, and it's three or more people pointed uh, with the three or more groups of people uh, pointing guns in a situation. So even if somebody pulls the trigger, that person has a definite disadvantage because they're not killing the person that would shoot them. Right. Right. So if you have three people and, you know, say I, you, me, and, uh, uh, you know, a fictional person named Bill, if I was pointed (laughs) at you, you were pointing at Bill and Bill was pointing at me. If I shot you, Bill would shoot me. I couldn't, I can't shoot Bill because then you would shoot me. Uh Uh-huh. Right. So, uh, but as far, so it's just a term of a, a standoff. That has three or more parties, but I don't, I can't tell if uh, it's derogatory or if people find it offensive. Um, I can think of other similar terms that are definitely offensive, uh, which we don't need to get into. Yeah. But also, this scenario does not qualify by that definition as a Mexican standoff. Uh, no, I made a mistake there that I thought it was a Mexican standoff, but it's not. But So the whole, yeah, let us know, let me know. I don't want to be offensive to anybody, but uh, if I've offended you in any way, first of all, I apologize. And second of all, please let me know. All right. Let's uh, let's do listener feedback, Jason. We've got uh, a good chunk of it here to, uh, to get through. Listener feedback. Okay. So this is a mixture this week of feedback about this episode. Of course, you can probably imagine what people want to talk about. And also last week's episode, which generated a fair bit as well. So we are going to start with a call from Anwen in New Zealand. Holy crap. Did you see that? Did JD just take a bullet for Laura? That low down, no good, double crossing, running away, Laura, I am not a fan. I think Jenna Elfman's playing her amazingly well. I love the acting. That was really cool seeing her tell her story about her kid and everything. But she doesn't deserve him. Oh, I can't wait to see what happens next week. Have a great day. Bye. Thanks, Anwen. So uh, not so hot on Laura slash Naomi there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if she just stayed with John, they could have lived happily ever after Oh, she's obviously making bad decisions based on her upbringing. Like we've we've established that that her parents brought her up badly, causing her to make bad decisions and uh, causing the death and uh, heartache of uh, people around her. Well, I guess that must explain it all. Why not? <laughs> but she doesn't deserve John. Good old John. Nobody does. No. <laughs> Dan in Columbus, Ohio, writes, "Holy crap! Do we all have to quit? Do sorry." Do we all have to rage quit Fear the Walking Dead? Not John Dory. <laughs> feel the same way. Yeah. I'm on the edge. And along those lines, Sally on the internet, if Dory is dead, I'm rage quitting the show and zombies in general. 
Oh my goodness. So she's not just quitting the he show, didn't but get killed by a zombie. No, no, he didn't, but maybe she's just looking for a way out. Maybe he needs to rage quit Alicia's. Like that's it. I'm stereotyping Alicia's and <laughs> I will rage quit them. Yeah. Never again. Never an Alicia again. Uh, Adam in Wisconsin writes, holy crap, they shot JD. I immediately shouted, no, and can only imagine you doing the same with your man crush. I've grown to love him just as much as you guys have. Long week ahead until the next episode. Have a good one, guys. I don't know if I cried out verbally, but I did feel like I got uh, punched in the soul. Right? That's exactly what it feels like. That guy, you you just don't want anything bad to happen to him. Everything that happens to John Dory should be good and exciting and uplifting and just make you feel happy. That's right. That's exactly right. We don't want nothing but the best for him. Nothing. But but that's why I think he didn't get shot in the heart. He didn't get shot in the lung. He got shot in the, you know, the left below in his in like the stomachular area mm-hmm. the technical technical term like somewhere in the thorax right sure because <laughs> people have thoraxes right i guess no not? abdomen or whatever they got he got <laughs> studied you know the middle like halfway between up and down uh and <laughs> off to the left <laughs> let's be honest though he probably got shot in the scrabble box right what's the scrabble box Oh, that's right, the Scrabble box. I completely forgot about it. He's fine. He's going to get up. He's going to pop right up and ask for his guns back from Morgan, and he's going to do a little show and then shoot everybody in the fingers. (laughs) Shoot all their fingers off. I mean, that Scrabble box. (laughs) I thought that was a euphemism for something that I completely didn't get. No, no, no. literal, Literal Scrabble box. It's a box with Scrabble letters in it. Yeah, yeah. No, I brought that up. That's a really good point. I hadn't considered that. Thank you for that. Yeah. So, I mean. I can sleep tonight. Good. I'm glad you're going to feel better about it now. Uh, I really do think that as cheesy as it sounds, I want him to be okay so much that getting shot in the Scrabble box will, won't bother me that much. He'll, he's going to roll over. He's going to reach into his pocket, pull out this Scrabble box. There'll be a bullet in it. And, and everyone will be like, oh, bulletproof Scrabble box. Thank God. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Like an Altoids tin. Like, that's not bulletproof at all. No. But in this world, it might be. It could be. So I think it'll be something like that. And I hope, whatever it is, he's not dead. Uh, Bill in New Jersey writes, Last week's episode, Laura, was one of my favorite episodes ever in the franchise. Frankly, I could watch five or six hours of John Dory fishing, canoeing, watching old movies, playing Scrabble, and cooking eggs at dangerous temperatures in between (laughs) the daily revolver maintenance. Suffice it to say, I wish last week's episode never ended. For tonight's episode to end with John Dory being shot, which should have, which I should have seen coming since he gave his guns to Morgan earlier in the episode, he can't die. Kill Madison, Alicia, Luciana, Strand, heck, even Morgan— just don't kill John Dory. He is such a great character, one like we haven't seen on either show in a while. I'm hoping that the bullet did not hit a major organ or artery and that Naomi, the nurse, with supplies seemingly on hand in the Land Rover, can save him. Because if he dies, I just don't know where this show is going. After last week, he is my new favorite character, and I just want to see him be happy. 
Yep. All very true. And another good point there that we know for a fact that there are, or at least were, supplies in that Land Rover because the the car that Naomi pulls up in is the just-in-case car that Madison asks Alicia to stock with stuff, including food, rifles, and medical supplies. Right, she, which is why Alicia's mad at uh, at Laura, uh, because she has it and not her mom. Sure, and I mean, that, that means that something has happened in between. Uh, you got to think that maybe Madison and... Um, Naomi fled together in that vehicle, or maybe all three of them fled together in that vehicle. Something went wrong and, and Naomi betrayed them. I don't know. I'm just speculating, but you're right. That car is an important piece to this puzzle. And why is Naomi driving it and not Madison? Right? right. Yep. However, if the supplies that they originally stocked are still in there, Medical supplies are there, they're important, and they might be used to save John if indeed he did not get shot in the Scrabble box. You sure that's not a euphemism for something? <laughs> no, but, uh, <laughs> I mean, if you want to make it into one, I'm sure you could come up with something. <laughs> it seems a little euphemism-y. Yeah, I think it does. <laughs> uh, Sean on the internet writes... Three canned hams split 48 ways means cutting each ham into 16 pieces. When you consider how much meat is in a canned ham, slice it across long ways, carry the two, it'd be exactly disgusting. I fucking hate canned ham. It's just spam without the Monty Python street cred. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I did the math. Yeah. In my head, I'm like, how many, how would you have to slice that to get 48? You'd have to cut that. Oh, shit. That's a really small piece. It's not enough uh, canned ham to make anyone happy. And again, Madison No, but it's, it's more than the kick in the pants they had uh, before they found the canned hams. That's uh, true. I mean, uh, some canned ham is better than no canned ham. Is that a true statement? I'm not so sure. <laughs> It depends if you have anything else, right? Because <laughs> no, if you have anything else, then no canned ham is better than some canned ham. I guess. What if the anything else is, uh, what were they eating? Horse feed or cattle feed or something like that a couple episodes ago? Into pancakes? Some, uh, no, I don't, don't remember. Some sort of livestock feed. You know, I don't know. <laughs> At least canned ham is kind of designed for human consumption. Yeah. I mean, so is cat food. Human. Human consumption. Yeah, no, cat food, dog food, they they make it out of, like, chicken and liver and stuff. It has to be designed so that humans can eat it. They don't make mouse-flavored cat food, right? Yeah, fair enough, but you could probably eat that, too, if you really had to. But I'm saying canned ham marketed to human beings, cat food marketed uh, yeah, to, yes, very much so, yeah. to cats. Yes, but you could eat cat food, right? If you found cat food, you could eat it. Oh, it's yeah. not the best for you. I wouldn't have it as a sustained diet because it doesn't. <laughs> It's not great, but in a pinch, people eat cat food. I suppose. Do you think there's anybody out there that actually enjoys eating cat food? I don't, there's probably people out there that enjoy all kinds like, of stuff. To each their own, man. I, I'm all for that, but that sounds pretty nasty. There's probably, I don't even want to speculate. I'm going to go down a weird dark hole and I'm not going. We don't want. Which is unlike me, I know, but. <laughs> we don't want to go it. into any of Jason's dark holes. Uh, Noop J on the internet writes, Naomi, okay, you don't want to be a part of the team. Fine. Just go away. 
This is one of those Walking Dead cliches that we see a lot lately. The old gone in the morning just makes me roll my eyes. Um, yeah, so I think what Noop Jay is getting at here is that nothing was keeping Naomi at the baseball diamond more than once. We, she, she was told that she can leave. She can take the truck with her. She's the one who found it after all. Yet we always get this. We got to follow her or we got to see what she's doing. That kind of trope. And did you feel that at all in this episode? Does it bother you at all? Uh, I don't understand why she didn't just say, you know, look, I'm going. See ya. And I, I think the first time when she was trying to leave, where she was just trying to like go, she tried a little misdirection, which caused a misunderstanding for what she was doing. And therefore she was held back. And when uh, Madison said, look, it's your truck. You just go. Like, if you want to go, go. And she, and then she said, well, I was, I was not going i was trying to go to this place to where to get stuff for you guys for us and then uh you know madison and strand went yeah cool let's go and so she's like ah shit i was trying to go and she told him you know look i was trying to go and uh, then strand flipped out because strand's uh you know he's was in a flip out kind of mood right because of various <laughs> things that were going on in the episode for him yep. and so he took the keys and so she's like shit now i got to take the keys to go but no, I don't. I know how to hotwire cars. I forgot about that. So she just left. It's now she just took off. But I guess they knew where she was going. So they, they followed her. But see, even listening to you talk about it here, it sounds overly complex and kind of nuts. Like she either wants to leave or she wants to help. So she wants to leave, but there's no reason for her to, as you said, um, use any... Uh, anything deceptive to get out of there. She could just go if she wants to, yet she does. And that screws up her whole idea because now other people are going to come with her because she came up with this lie about going for supplies. I don't know. It, it Now that I'm sort of saying it all and you're saying it all out loud, it does feel a little bit, again, unnecessarily complicated, which was one of the themes of this episode. Unnecessarily, uh, yeah. unnecessary complications to storylines. Yeah. Rube Goldberg. That's what they should have called this, just in case Rube Goldberg. Yeah, this whole episode was a Rube Goldberg episode. Um, anyways, uh, it, it all sort of worked out in the end, I think. Um, but we'll have to see where the last two episodes of this first half of this season take us. All right, call from Lisa. Hi, Jason and Chris. This is Lisa from Nova Scotia. I'm just listening to your podcast on the episode called Laura. And uh, you were asking for feedback, so I just want you to let you know that as a woman, I am totally in love with John Dory after that episode. Right. So we've got this call from Lisa and a few emails on this topic. I was wondering last week if the whole, you know, the whole John Dory's bit about the whole, if you're alive, the whole world is alive to me speech yep. was as amazing and, and romantic as I thought it was. And so we had some women write in to let us know. And obviously Lisa is totally in love with John Dory. So check one for John. How could you not be? Well, I know. I understand that. But I think there's probably some dissent out there. We'll have to find out. Our next email comes from a listener who we have ma named on the podcast before, but in this case chose to remain anonymous. 
Okay. And this listener writes, I am rarely brought to tears by anything on TV anymore, except those dang commercials with starving children and abused animals. But John Dory telling Laura he loved her just broke me. I am absolutely, completely enthralled by this character and how believable he is when discussing his past and his pain. I swear I'd watch this man go about his day if they only made fear about that. What a breath of fresh, gentlemanly, old-fashioned air he is. Masculine and sweet, handsome but not pretty the way Nick was, gruff and tender. Rawr, says the woman in me. (laughs) Nice. So, another John Dory fan right there. That's good. I would say. And that's R-A-W-R. Rawr. Of course. Of course. I assume. (laughs) Naturally. (laughs) Uh, Jennifer in Minneapolis writes, My vote on what John Dory says to Naomi is, yes, super romantic. Drop everything and kiss him for God's sakes romantic. However, how much of John's love for her hinges on the fact that he's Uh, Sorry, hinges on the fact that she's the only person with whom he's had contact in in a very long time. Yeah, but I see that as uh, not really necessary of, uh, it's not really necessary to examine that too closely. No, I think those two things are mutually exclusive. He is super romantic, drop everything and kiss him romantic. He's a great guy. The fact that he's been alone for so long, and that may influence his feelings a little bit. Nothing to do with anything. Yeah. I mean, it's it, they still have to be compatible and still have to, you know, have an interest in one another. If she spent the whole time uh, yelling at him and farting in her sleep and... <laughs> I mean, that probably you know, it, happened. <laughs> well, of course it did, but, you know, quietly. Sure. Because she's, yeah, because it's love. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, if if she was just rude and angry and uh, I'm stuck here, but you're a worthless piece of shit and I hate you, go get me a sandwich and make me some juice, uh, you know, kind of thing, <laughs> I, there probably wouldn't be a lot of connection there, but uh, there, w- there was a connection. There was definitely a connection and he fell in love with her and I don't think it's, he. I don't think he would have fallen in love with anybody that showed up. Except the next person he met was uh, Morgan, and he pretty much fell in love with him, too. But that's neither here nor there. Is that the first fart sound you've made on the podcast in 380 episodes? It could very well be. Mark this day. Congratulations. Uh, you know, I think... I, I've been making more fart sounds lately, because uh, oddly enough, my wife finds them, finds them funny, and so does my son. That's... So it's a good way to make my whole family laugh. Yeah, not so surprised about your son. I have a repertoire of different fart sounds that I can make, like a whole a large one. Okay. So, it just some, makes them roll on the floor. I know it's childish. I don't even much enjoy it, but <laughs> my family does. Someday in the after hours. Well, the fact that John has been alone for so long, that really doesn't look like anything to me. So I don't think it plays a factor in it at all. Dawn. You no, know, perfect, perfect. You know, <sighs> If you've been, if I was alone for a year and never talked to anybody, I probably wouldn't be able to talk to anybody from that point on. You would, I'd be so, I'd be such a mess that I probably wouldn't be able to make a connection with another human being. But John Dory did. It says a lot about him and you. Yeah, both. Yeah, exactly. 
I'm not half the man that John Dory is. No. Nowhere near. Not not many of us are. I mean, come on. Anyways, on the other side of the spectrum here, Don from our Facebook page on this topic writes, I was really creeped out. How long did she stay with him? I thought it wasn't that long at all. If someone I had just met told me he loved me after such a short time, I'd be out of there. Yeah, but it's a TV show. You don't. And it's the zombie every, apocalypse. Assume every commercial break was six weeks. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it was that long, but <laughs> it's also the zombie apocalypse. You got to speed things through a little bit, right? Well, okay. So let's, they only went to the store once, right? So only one Tuesday passed. That seems to be the case. Oh, but then they went back and got the, got the Jeep from the store. So let's say two Tuesdays. A couple of weeks. All right. So two, three weeks. She's got a, she sewed up, like he sewed her up a little bit and then she was healed. So that that's that's a six week recovery. So let's say six weeks. That's enough to fall in love with someone. If you if you spend six weeks with someone, yeah. absolutely fair enough. Yeah, I I think it can happen a lot faster than that. Actually, yeah, it could, and it can also be creepy when it's like, oh, you're a nice person. I really like you. Yeah, I love you. <laughs> in the first six minutes, I mean, maybe a little creepy. Yeah, <laughs> this might be a little creepy. Sure, but, uh, six weeks. I think that's fine. All right. Well, Jenny in South Carolina writes, from a woman's perspective, I thought this week's episode of Fear was amazing. It is important to note that I am not a chick flick kind of gal. I cannot stand Titanic. With that said, I cried actual tears when he gave his speech. Like her, I would have left when she did, though. I mean, he was romantic, but he's also pretty awkward. How do I know he doesn't love her because she's the only woman who has ever paid any attention to him? How does she know he's not an awful person who is just being nice to her for now? So there's some questions in there, but I mean, when John Dory says, I love you, I think John Dory means I love you. Yeah, I would think so. So he's a straight shooting kind of a guy. He really, really, really is straight shooter. I, I wouldn't call him simple. Like we've had this discussion. I would say he's not complicated. So I think that, uh, his emotions that he says, I think he feels. I think he's kind of wear his heart on his sleeve kind of guy. Agreed. Absolutely. And that's that's okay as long as he doesn't keep taking off his shirt. <laughs> what was that from? That's a Bare Naked Ladies song, right? Yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> if you wear your heart on your sleeve, don't take off your shirt because then your your heart goes away with it. <laughs> it's from, it's oh, a yeah. lyric from I, a Bare Naked Ladies song. I don't know that song. Oh, yes, you do. Uh, All right. Sue Ellen in Sydney, Australia writes, I was impatiently waiting for your podcast to see if you both loved or hated last week's episode. I'm so glad you loved, uh, you both loved it so much. I agree with you both that John Dory's declaration of love for Laura was beautiful, mainly because John was such a well-crafted and genuine character. A hundred other actors could have said this and it would have felt cringeworthy. But Garrett Dillahunt, who plays John Dory, made it feel heartfelt and 100% real. So it comes down to the actor, not just the, the lines. Absolutely. And I think Garrett, Garrett Dillahunt is one of those actors. I've seen him in other things, and everything I've seen him in, he's been great. Yeah. So I'm, I'm all for it. He's, uh, I think he's an underappreciated actor that needs to have more work, better work, and his own goddamn show. Well, let's hope he gets it someday. I'm going to go back and watch some of his previous stuff, I think, because he's amazing. Uh, Okay, Dan in York, UK writes, I can't believe you didn't mention the one thing that annoyed me in this otherwise amazing episode. Talking about Laura again. 
When the herd attacks near the end, John Dory jumps down into the moat to fight the zombies there. What the hell was he thinking? When zombies are attacking from the other side of a moat, you stand on your side, use the higher ground, and brain any zombies that get across. You don't need to kill the ones that have fallen down into the moat, because the only way they can pose a threat is by giving the others something to walk over, and killing them makes them better at that. All he's doing is giving the zombies a better chance of cornering him and at the same time making sure the ones in the moat stay nice and still to help the others across. Stupid, stupid, stupid. Uh, yeah, you're, you're right. I You deserve uh, 47 Jason points. Remember those? Uh, keep track of your own points. Uh, those, that was a really good point, and uh, I'm, I feel bad that we failed. Well, pointing that out. here's the thing. I... I did notice this in the episode, and I thought to myself, watching last week's episode, why would he do that? Why jump into? This is one of those things that I complained about in the previous episode where, you know, Alicia and Naomi were going into the water to kill the zombies instead of doing it from the the edge of the pool. Same thing. He jumps down into the moat and starts killing them there. It makes no sense, and it's the wrong decision. But I just loved everything else about the episode so much. I wanted to try to not focus on the one thing that I thought would make it less than perfect. And so I didn't bring it up. But it did bother me a little bit both times I watched last week's episode. I completely get it. I'm okay now, Dan, to talk about it because we've, you know, we, you know, we're a week removed. But, you know, I didn't want to talk about it at the time. But I totally agree with you. It was dumb. Don't jump into the moat to start killing the zombies do it from where you are the safety of your side it makes a lot of sense yeah it's pretty dumb to jump down there yeah but you know i'm gonna i'm gonna let it go because everything else was so good and dan acknowledges that too so otherwise amazing episode he says right. one more email uh which i think was funny rebecca in chicago writes i love listening to your podcast and frequently smile and find myself amused However, all alone, listening to this week's cast, I laughed out loud in regards to taking a few extra seconds whenever aiming a gun at the woman you love. So funny and amusing. <laughs> Keep up the great work. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You always take a few extra seconds. Always. <laughs> Reminds me of that country song. Uh, if I shot you when I wanted to, I'd be out by now. <laughs> I'd be out by now. Man, that's harsh. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh yeah, well, I don't know. That's that's just <laughs> it is kind of ridiculous when you think about it now. And when you're aiming the gun at the woman that you love, take a few extra seconds to think about what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. No, and I'm glad that I later on pointed out that uh when you're trying not to hit the woman you love, that's when you take the extra few few extra seconds to aim. I guess so, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you everyone for writing and calling in. I think our feedback episode, our feedback sections are going to be a little bit like this from now on because we don't do the extra show midweek. Uh, so we kind of combine stuff up into one episode or, you know, we combine feedback from multiple episodes into one segment here. Hope, hope that's working for everyone. Uh, and of course we did ask if, if all the ladies out there thought that John Dory was as romantic as we did. And it sounds like for the most part you did. Um, but thank you everyone for writing in and that's all we've got. Now I have a brief, uh, after hours for today, a couple of other emails that aren't really related to the walking dead, but do answer a couple of other questions that we've posed over the last few weeks. So cool. stay tuned, um, after this for that, it won't take too long. 
Um, otherwise, thanks for tuning in. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can do so by visiting the website, talkingdeadpodcast.com, clicking on send voicemail up there at the top where you can record a message and send it right to us. Of course, you can also use your phone, record something in your voice memo app if you have one and email it to us. Uh, which you can do at talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. In fact, send all of your email correspondence to that, and it will come right into my inbox. You can also find us on Twitter at Talking Dead and on Facebook at facebook.com slash thetalkingdead. So stay tuned now for a brief after hours, but otherwise, appreciate you listening. My name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Ciao. Hello. I'm sorry I didn't see you there. Please, come in. Chris and Jason have just popped off to change into something a little more comfortable. You know what those boys are like. Please, sit down. Help yourself to a drink. And welcome to the Talking Dead After Hours. That is right. Welcome to the After Hours. So, Jason, I've got a couple of emails here from listeners regarding things that have come up on the show recently that aren't really related to the show uh, directly. But I thought they, you know, needed addressing. And the first one is from Dan in the UK. And Dan writes, Jason, Scrabble is not a word game. It's an area control game. The words restrict what plays are allowed, but the winner isn't the person who knows the longest words. It's the person who knows how best to use the layout of the board to maximize their score. Usually, you get higher scores from laying multiple short words in one turn with the right high-scoring tiles on the word-letter score spaces than from laying long words. In fact, laying long words can be a disadvantage as it opens up the board for your opponent, giving them first dibs on the high-scoring spaces. It's a game closer in strategy. It's a game closer in strategy to risk than boggle. Maybe you should give the game another try from a different perspective. Uh, sorry, I fell asleep during that. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I think Dan makes a really fascinating point that people think Scrabble is about making the longest words you can, but it's really about controlling the space on the boards to prevent your opponent from putting down words that that score high uh, high values based on the the double, triple word score squares. Do they make Scrabble based on quadratic equations? Because that might be interesting. I think you are <laughs> dismissive of Dan's point because it's a good one. <laughs> well, it is a good one. I've I've played Scrabble a few times. Uh-huh. Uh, I find it incredibly boring. And uh, I'm not good at making words uh, that are longer than three letters. Cat, art. <laughs> but what he's saying is that's fine. If you can do that and screw your opponent over... You will be good at Scrabble because you're controlling the game. I don't want to screw my opponent over. That's another thing is I like cooperative play. Let's make as many words as we can. This is fun. Really? Really. I don't, why would I want to screw? I don't like playing cards that, uh, where you keep track of points because then, you know, in order to win, somebody else has to lose. You're, and I don't want other people to lose. You're I want such us all a, to win. You're such a wiener. If you're playing cards against someone, the idea is to win the card game. Yeah. And I don't like playing cards against someone. I don't like playing uh, cribbage. 
I don't, I don't like games that are not cooperative. I, I just, I don't find them entertaining. My, I don't have that competitive drive in me in order to beat someone else at a game. I'd rather do something fun where we could work together to, to achieve a goal rather than me beating someone else. Are there, are there games out there that are designed as cooperative that you, that you play and enjoy? Or are you talking about like, you know, let's go build a rocking chair together? That'd be nice. Cause I mean, that's I not, really a, like that. that's not a game. That's well, a, we've had this conversation before actually. And so a listener wrote in that, uh, there's a game called contagion or something. Uh-huh. It's, uh, I'm not sure. It's a board game where, uh, a, there's an outbreak of various diseases in the world and you have to work cooperatively to try and, uh, fix them, to get rid of them, to put, uh, to, get everybody healthy and have them not break out. There's a video that's game. That's a cooperative game. There's a video game called Contagion that's an indie cooperative multiplayer video game. Well, I think there might be a, an actual board game. Yeah, board pro- probably. Game. All right. Contagion. So your problem yeah, so, is just that you don't like beating people. Oh, pandemic. Regardless of, of how you do it. You don't like beating people no matter what the what the circumstances are. I just, I don't like, uh, I don't like competitive games. I don't like them. Okay. Scrabble is one of them, but I mean, it's, it's okay to make words and stuff, but it's all, it's even more fun if you can pick a theme, dirty words, uh-huh. dirty words, Scrabble. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, and I actually listened to, watched a video on YouTube recently that uh, said the best way to win at Scrabble is to lie your fucking ass off. Just make up words and lie, 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 lie. Because if... Uh, somebody calls you on it, they're the ones making the risk, right? If they, uh, if they call you on it and they're right, they get the, uh, you lose your turn or whatever happens. But if they call you on it and they're wrong, they lose a turn. So the risk is all theirs when they call you on it. So the incentive is to not call you on it. Uh, yeah, so unless you have I, a decent vocabulary and you know that Glurbogorp isn't a word. Are you sure it's not a word? I mean, I thought the friggin' Scrabble box was a, eu- a euphemism for something. I'm not good at this kind of stuff, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's a little different, but I, I see your point. It's not so, worth the risk to challenge the word. So I think in, uh, yeah, the best way to win at Scrabble is to just lie. Make shit up. Make shit up. So, see, I could, I could get on that. There's a game called Balderdash where the whole point is uh, to lie mm-hmm. and be convincing at it. I'm very good at that. And that's fun for me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. To lie for entertainment value. Fair enough. While playing a game. Anyway, no, I don't like competitive games. Scrabble, I can understand that it's an area control because it's a board game and they have certain, like, they have the point systems. You always want to try and get to the edge so you can get to your triple word score and all that kind of good stuff. But uh, I I can't, I can't, you, I can't get in the mindset where I need to, do something that would prevent another player from being able to do something that they want to do. I can't, I can't, it's just not part of my personality to think that way. Interesting. It's just sap. You, I, you're not going to like chess. <laughs> I don't like chess. Okay. Fair enough. We have another email here. Tim in Maine, uh, that came from, came to our Facebook page and wrote, Hey guys, listening to the show right now, as always, it's a great one. Thank you, Tim. I live in Maine and people here, Never take the keys out of the car. For the most part, you will find keys in the visor, the center console, or in the ignition. <laughs> so, um, apparently it's a thing. 
Apparently people do leave their keys in cars in Maine. In Maine. Okay, well, that's good to know. So if I ever need to steal a car, <laughs> just get into go it. Go to Maine. <laughs> <laughs> go, go to Maine. And Is it one of those shared places where you just get into whatever car and just drive it around for a while and then just leave it? No, I'm pretty sure. Uh, I don't know. It's 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 just the way it is. <laughs> I'm not sure. That doesn't happen here, but uh, apparently in Maine it does. Now, I mean, maybe there's a difference between uh, rural Maine and urban Maine, but um, I don't know. Because, you know, I could see, what's a big city in Maine? Can you think of a city in Maine? Port, Portland. <laughs> Portland, Maine. Portland is in Maine, right? This is geography, right? Yes. <laughs> okay, I got the subject right. No, uh, Portland. I think Portland is the biggest city in Maine. I don't know. But, like, if you're in, like, downtown Portland, do you leave your keys in the visor of the car? Or, you know, if you're in, I don't know, Island Falls, Maine, maybe it's more appropriate there. Do, do people wear their social insurance numbers or their, uh, what do you call them in the States? Um, uh, question. We call them, yeah, social insurance, social insurance numbers. numbers. Damn it. What are they called in the States? There is a word. I don't know what it is right now. Yeah. Do they wear them as name tags so that people can steal their identity? Uh, no, probably not. Yeah. See, you got to take a little precaution. <laughs> uh, but then again. Uh, it's like my father always said that locks only keep the honest people out. I guess so. Yeah. Opportunity. People might take the opportunity. Like there was, <laughs> we're in the after hours, right? So we can talk about whatever we want. We can. Uh, my grandma in over the last winter, uh, went out to her car to get in it and drive home and it was snowing really badly and she forgot to lock the car. And then when she opened the car, there was a guy sitting in the uh, passenger seat that refused to get out. He was drunk off his ass, but he refused to get out of the car uh, because she forgot to lock it. And uh, if the keys were in the car, he probably would have taken it. Mm -hmm. Drunk ass off his friggin'. He ended up getting out of the car and throwing up all over the side of it until his buddy dragged him off to wherever they were going. But, uh, you know, this is, you know, uh, northern Ontario. It's not a big town. Uh, there's not a lot of crime. Uh, but you forget to lock your car and all of a sudden there's a drunk guy sitting in the passenger seat that refuses to get out. Mm -hmm. So if, you know, don't leave the keys in the car. If she had left the keys in the car, he would have left. He would have been a drunk guy that got into a random car, found some keys, started it up, drove it off, possibly killing himself and many other people. That doesn't sound good at all. So, you know, people leaving keys in their visor, I mean, sure, that's fine and good and everything, but uh, it still, it leaves you open or leaves it open for opportunistic drunk people to take advantage. Right. And that doesn't sound good. No, it doesn't sound good. All right. Well, anyways, we we posed the question, or at least you did, and Tim had an answer for us. So Good. Some yeah, places. Okay. I guess. It's a real thing. It's not just a TV trope. Exactly. That's the thing. It happens somewhere. So. All right, everyone. That's all we've got. Uh, we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening.